0: The Old Testament lesson today comes from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 58, verses 1 through 9. In this text, there is a dispute between God and the people. The people have been fasting, but not seeing the benefits of their fasting. So they ask God, we've been fasting. Where are you? Are you noticing our fasting? And God responds by saying, essentially, that their fasting has become a rote religious ritual And it has not been a gateway to the implementation of justice and righteousness in their midst as it was always intended to be. I will try to indicate when the people speak and when God speaks so that you can follow the narrative back and forth over the course of this text. I invite you now to listen for the word of God. God says, shout out, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet, announce to my people their rebellion, to the house of Jacob their sin. Yet day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that practiced justice and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments, they delight to draw near to God. The people ask. Why do we fast, but you do not see? Why humble ourselves, but you do not notice? God says, look, you serve your own interests on your fast day and oppress all your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush and to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? Then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. And the New Testament lesson comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Continuing on last week's introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus now proceeds with these ethical teachings. Listen once again for the Word of God. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven." Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In this morning's gospel text, Jesus says that two things are true of his disciples. They are salt and they are light. But not just any salt or any light, the salt and the light. Just as salt enhances food and light illuminates surroundings, Jesus' disciples are to enhance the earth and illuminate the world. They are to be like seasoning and let their light shine. How did Jesus' disciples become salt and light? Notice that these are not commandments, but statements of fact. They're just-so statements. Jesus does not say, you ought to be salt, or you ought to become light. No, he says, you are the salt. You are the light. Christians are not challenged to become salty and bright nor are saltiness and brilliance the end results of a life of virtue or hundreds of good works. Christians are salt and light simply because Christ has made us so. Our proximity to Jesus, his calling of us children of God and his spirit within us have made us so. All of this is by grace alone. And you see, grace is always the first thing in Christian self-understanding. The free blessing of God is always out in front of us, leading the way, illuminating the path forward. Grace goes first, and the first truth about ourselves is not a word of challenge, but a word of grace. You are salt. You are light. It is not your own doing. It is the blessing of God. Grace meets us at the beginning of our Christian journey. But there is a challenge in this text, too. It follows after grace, but it is there. As we've seen, the challenge is not to become salt or become light, but rather the challenge is to stay salty and to let your light shine. In other words, we're challenged to be what we already are, the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Salt and light, wonderful as they are, are no good on their own, isolated from everything else. Only a small pinch of pure salt on the tongue is enough to contort a face and make miserable the taste buds. Light is useless if there is nothing to see or if there is no one to see what is illuminated. Salt and light both exist for a larger purpose. Salt exists to bring the best flavors out of food. And light exists to reveal and to enlighten. In the same way, Jesus' disciples are to be salt for the earth, light for the world, bringing out the best in the world, illuminating the common good, and drawing people toward Christ. Years ago, I spent a few weeks in a rural Kenyan village. The hut where we stayed had this small solar panel that sat on the roof, and during the day it would soak in as much sunshine as possible. When evening came and daylight receded, we would turn on inside the single light bulb that hung down from the roof. We would play cards or read books beneath the light, which initially would illuminate the whole house like a lamp on a lampstand. But over time, as the power began to fade, we'd have to squint at our book or even hold it up right beneath the light to continue to read and draw out the evening as long as we could. But eventually the light would flicker and flicker and finally shut off completely. And that was it. Then we went to bed. Just as we gathered around that single light bulb, the world should be drawn to Christians because we have good news, because we have a compelling and hopeful message. There should be something clarifying about our witness to Christ in the world. It is not enough to just come and go from church and leave our faith at that. That's too insular, too isolated, and too withdrawn a posture for disciples whom Jesus calls the light of the world. We've been made salt and light by grace. It is from nothing that Jesus' followers have been made salt and light. But it is not for nothing. It is for others, for the earth, for the world. It is so that others may see our good works and give glory to God. The commandment follows the word of grace, but it is a commandment nonetheless. Don't lose your saltiness. That's not the point of salt. Don't hide your light under a bushel basket. That's not the point of light. So the question for us is simply, to whom are you called to be light right now? How and where can you let your light shine? There's all sorts of answers. Maybe you're in the midst of a conflict with someone important. Maybe it's a family member or a close friend. An initial skirmish or misunderstanding has festered and splintered and now you're constantly jousting for position or you're as distant as you've been in a long time. Maybe to be a light means to be the first to take a step toward reconciliation, the first to take a step toward redemption. Maybe to be a light means to be the first to apologize, the first to take responsibility for one's role in a conflict. Maybe to be a light is to be the first to decide that sometimes it is more important to be kind than it is to be right. Or perhaps you know of someone going through a particularly difficult time in their life, and you'd like to reach out, you'd like to be a light, but you're not sure if you're the right person to do that. When my father died, I remember being surprised by the folks who provided me with support. I would have expected it to be my closest friends who provided me the most support and distant acquaintances to be sort of nice enough, right? But I remember how remarkable it felt to receive a card from someone I would have even expected to know that my dad had died. I remember the power of that knowing nod or gentle greeting from someone who acknowledged my loss without saying so. And to this day, I'm grateful whenever anyone recognizes the ongoing reality of my loss. You know, you don't have to be someone's best friend to be a light in their life. You don't have to solve someone's problems or mend someone's heartbreak or quell someone's anxiety to be a light in their life. No, you just have to be present. You just have to show up. You just have to reach out You just have to let your light shine. Or suppose you live in a society plagued by polarization and political, social, and economic upheaval. Imagine that outrage and mistrust and scapegoating dominated the public discourse. And suppose you were often tempted to participate in the toxicity of it all, to dehumanize others and blame someone else for all your problems to be a part of the problem rather than a part of the solution. Hypothetically, how might you be a light in such a world? Could it mean speaking up for someone who isn't there to speak for themselves? Could it mean actively seeking to read opinions that are different from yours to investigate different points of view? Could it mean committing to seasoning your speech with salt, as the scripture says elsewhere? and focusing on using your precious words only to build others up and to advocate for the common good. Friends, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. How will you let your light shine? To whom are you called to be light? Now, if thinking about how to be a light to someone gives you a degree of anxiety, I know what you mean. It can be hard to know what to do in order to be most useful. It can be hard to know what's really going on with people, and it can be hard to know how much of an invitation you have to lend a hand or a warm embrace. It's true that letting your light shine can require a degree of risk. You risk rejection. Your light might be ignored. Sometimes you might not say the right thing at the right time. But remember that the one whose light we reflect also wants that light to be seen. We finish where we began, reminded that it is Christ who makes us shine, not we ourselves. And the one who lights us up will also set us on the lampstand. Jesus will not let our light hide under a basket for long. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, and Christ doesn't let it happen forever. Christ makes our light shine forth because Christ is the one whose light we reflect. All we are asked to do is to shine as best we can. And in so doing, we just might be surprised at the ways we wind up bringing glory to God. Hallelujah and thanks be to God. Amen.